It is Monday, February 12, 2024, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellum. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, the latest data on people experiencing homelessness in Northwest Arkansas. The numbers are are genuinely going up. We, we see it nationally. Um, it's very closely tied to the disconnect between housing markets and labor markets. It costs more to live in many places, and that's really very acute here in Northwest Arkansas. And Plus, NWA Fashion Week is more than just admiring clothing. Our instructors are so patient with every single skill level. So when I came away, I was like, okay, I know wow. what, a, what a sewing machine does. I know how to change the position of a sewing machine. I know how to thread it. And sharing something in your closet. idea with this was that a lot of people have these gowns in their closet and you don't want to throw it away. You spend hundreds of dollars. You have happy memories with this gown, right? You don't want to throw it away. First up, the latest news from NPR. Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families celebrates the 23rd annual Soup Sunday, February 18th at the Rogers Convention Center from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. This family-friendly fundraiser includes soups and breads, desserts, live music, and auction items. 479-927-9800 or aradvocates.org for tickets. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, February 12th, 2024. I'm Matthew Moore. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. Later today, we talk about what we wear a conversation with Roe Bailey about NWA Fashion Week, and Becky Luther of Northwest Arkansas Gowntastic Formals Drive. That's in our second half hour. First today, the NWA Continuum of Care has been conducting an annual survey called Point in Time Count for Homelessness since 2018. This survey is required by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, to allocate necessary funds and resources for housing support in the region. Last year, the survey found that 436 people in NWA were experiencing some form of homelessness. The count occurred in late January and revealed that 161 people were in emergency shelters, 24 were in transitional housing, and 178 were living completely unsheltered. John Gallagher, an associate professor at the University of Arkansas School of Social Work, has been in charge of the count for the past three years. He recently spoke with Ozarks at Large's Jack Travis right after his team completed the 2024 survey. Gallagher says that this year they have optimized the survey methodology to ensure accuracy and efficiency. Well, this year's count, so it's really, I mean, the process worked well. So that's, you know, mostly at this point, I'm able to think about process. So we had about 50 volunteers throughout the community, um, as well as probably another 20 people who are employed by shelters or other programs conducting interviews with people. So the, the process worked pretty well. There's, you know, there's always some, some people got sick at the last minute, but that worked pretty well. Um, we won't really have numbers. We're still, we do some, some reports come trickle in, people completed paper forms, and we do some work with the large shelter providers afterwards just to kind of validate data, make sure we're not counting some people twice, and also make sure we're not missing some people that were known to sleep in their shelter on the night. Um, so we won't really understand the data until April or May of this year is when we'll enter it to, we report it to HUD, and we'll also report it here locally. 
walk me through how you gather these statistics. You know, what does an average day of account look like for you? Sure. Um, so it, it starts months in advance, and I should say I work closely with one of our MSW students through an internship. This year it's Morgan Willoughby, so she started working with me in the fall semester. Um, so we start we start recruiting volunteers. We do volunteer training. We coordinate with the programs that will do their own counting. And then on the day of the counts, we just have people – um, fanning out throughout the day. I, I typically start my morning. Uh, Morgan and I met up some some Fayetteville and UAPD officers, as well as a handful of other community and student volunteers around 8 a.m. In, in South Fayetteville, went out to camps that we wouldn't be able to physically reach without the uh, four-wheel vehicles that law enforcement brings. So we'll, we, we'll typically start the day here in South Fayetteville, but there'll be other people at the same time out in Siloam Springs and um, up in Bentonville with the, the, the Salvation Army shelter. We had a crew to start as their day was beginning. Um, then there'll be, we have lots of people at the, the Seven Hills Day Center. Most of the, there's a, some new day centers in Rogers, the Way Station, um, Hope Cafe. So we had volunteers and their staff there. And then um, the day ended for myself, again, out with Springdale PD and some more students um, in about 8 o'clock on Friday night. And we also had some people at the two uh, Bentonville and Fayetteville Salvation Army shelters probably finishing up also around 8 or 9 o'clock. Were you seeing any trends that arose in the past year? I, I think so. If we if we step back to last year's data, you know, I can talk pretty comfortably about trends. So what we saw from 2022 to 2023 was a large increase in the number of people we counted. Part of that was I think we did a better job. So there were some kind of methodological improvements that I made that I think did pay off, but also partially the numbers are are genuinely going up. We we see it nationally. Um, it's very closely tied to the disconnect between housing markets and labor markets. It costs more to live in many places, and that's really very acute here in northwest Arkansas and getting worse every year. So we, we know the numbers are going up. So we saw an increase um, of, you know, from roughly mid-300s to mid-400s. It's important to keep in mind, you know, the point in time count, it's, it, it does have a lot of strengths as this one day where we count, but it also, it pretty inherently undercounts. So those numbers, I, I encourage everyone to think of as a floor of the number of people experiencing homelessness in our community. There's always a lot more. For one thing, just when you go out to try to engage people and meet people in camps, they're just, they're very well hidden. They're trying to stay, you know, out of sight to be safe. So it, it can be hard to find people. It's a very, it's a good definition, but it's a pretty narrow definition. So a lot of people that you know, if I was experiencing, you know, if I didn't have a home of my own and a series of friends put me up on their couch, I would feel pretty damn homeless that we would not count such a person using this definition, which requires acute homelessness on the streets or in a large shelter or in a shelter to sense to be large. Um, we also don't count a lot of people that kind of, again, seem and 
have a lot of housing instability, if they're in a treatment center, if they're in a hospital, and they will be homeless when they leave, those folks are not generally eligible to be counted. Same with people in jail. So um, there's a lot of that type of undercount. And also just the the point in time nature of the count really does limit it. So homelessness, like many other social issues, are very cyclical. Someone gets a place, is able to pay their way in a weekly motel for a while with a job, is not technically homeless for a day, a week, a month, and then something happens, lose the job, car breaks down, can't go to work, and returns to homelessness. So, you know, those those numbers are always higher than they seem. But nonetheless, we're we're seeing clear evidence that it's increasing here in Northwest Arkansas. We also look at characteristics of people and, you know, not surprisingly, and again, pretty similar with national trends. We see, we see some very stark and unfortunate um, racial and ethnic disparities, larger rates of, of homelessness, generally speaking, among non-white communities, um, African-American, Marshallese, to a, to a lesser but real extent, Hispanic individuals. Um, we see very elevated rates of people with disabling conditions, mental health conditions, substance use disorders, physical health conditions as well. And again, that's, that's very consistent with, with national data. Um, we started adding, last year I added a few items just to look at other characteristics. We have um, very high rates of people that when they were children were in the child welfare system. So very, very often it's important to remember, you know, you, you see an adult on a corner, you know, flying a sign or something or none of us started as adults and so when you when you look back at the the life trajectories of people you see very high rates of you know early childhood adversity those types of factors and so we're we you know not surprisingly we saw that as well so why is it important to gather these statistics how are they used what can the powers that be do with these with these numbers, with these with these stories of people, because that's what these numbers are, right? Or, or st- these people's stories. They're right. I mean, beneath every number is a human, right? So, yes, absolutely. You know, the the numbers get used in a couple of ways and can probably be used in a few more. They, you know, the the most straightforward and concrete one is HUD requires it. Could certainly benefit from a larger amount of HUD funds in our community, but hundreds of thousands of dollars come in, and this is one of the requirements. So obviously we need to stay on the right side of a funder. And then locally, and there, there started to be, not that there's, there hasn't been attention to it, but, you know, Fayetteville, as one of our communities, has been having a lot of, a lot of dialogue around issues of homelessness and housing. Um, so the city council was certainly looking at numbers this past year and looking at the increases. So I think while it's unfortunate that we have this many people living without housing in our community, the, the better of a job that we can do getting close to it truer picture of them, you know, people can start to see the size and the scope of it. And when we can bring in some of those characteristics that can help to, you know, push back against some of the stigma, again, the the rates of early childhood adversity, the rates of disability, you know, it's, it's not just some stereotypical person who's just looking for someone to take care of them. It's generally speaking, people that have had way more than their fair share of life challenges and are trying to navigate a, 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 a social system, even before the homelessness 
that doesn't always do a really good job of addressing disabling conditions. So it's, you know, folks with a serious mental illness that with good treatment and supports could live quite successfully in the community. When those supports aren't available, they become at greater risk when you think about how expensive it is to live here, right? It's very, a housing market is a competitive environment. If you have untreated, undertreated mental health conditions, substance use conditions that while treatable, there aren't enough rehab beds, you know, we end up with people out there. And again, I, I like your point that, you know, these numbers are boring and wonky. Each one is, you know, someone's child, often someone's parents, those types of things. Is there anything I forgot to ask or anything else that you feel is necessary to mention? Um, I would just, you know, I always, I would feel remiss without just saying, you know, we as a, we as a community can and should and really, frankly, need to do better. Um, you know, I, I interviewed a 70-year-old woman sleeping in a tent. You know, that's, that's just crappy. You know, we can do better. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Thank you. John Gallagher is an associate professor at the University of Arkansas's School of Social Work. He recently spoke with Ozarks at Large's Jack Travis in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One. You can visit our website, ozarksatlarge.com, to learn more about the NWA Continuum of Care and review point-in-time counts from 2018 through 2023. Still to come on today's show, a drive to collect prom dresses. And I said, you know, is it crazy, the thought of trying to get free prom gowns into the hands of, you know, deserving teens? That's later this hour on Ozarks at Large. The Listening Lab is an opportunity for community members to find common ground, share experiences, and to tell the stories of Northwest Arkansas natives and transplants in their own voices so we may be more aware of our similarities rather than our differences. Yeah, there's a lot of growth opportunity here in in Northwest Arkansas, that is for sure. KUAF wishes to create the opportunity for listening and sharing without distraction and without outside influence. The Listening Lab is made possible by funding from the Walmart Foundation through its Creating Community in Northwest Arkansas through Bridging and Belonging Initiative. Hey, hey, are you listening? (laughs) Hey, The Listening Lab. Emerson Alexander is the Listening Lab coordinator. To find out more about The Listening Lab, you can visit listeninglab.com KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. Three of the four candidates seeking to become the Arkansas Supreme Court's next chief justice participated in a debate on Friday at the NEA Political Animals Club meeting in Jonesboro. Current Arkansas Supreme Court justices Rhonda Wood and Barbara Webb were joined at the debate table by attorney Jay Martin. Justice Karen Baker did not attend. This election is a nonpartisan race, meaning that the candidates do not run as Democrats or Republicans for this elected office. Justice Webb said she would not ask for the court's budget to be increased, but Martin said that he would, citing that every single courthouse in the state is in need of security upgrades. Justice Wood said if she wins this race, she will endeavor to make the courts friendlier to the public and she will push for technology upgrades. Later this week, we'll hear from Daniel Breen, news director of Little Rock Public Radio, who moderated a forum with all four of the candidates. The election of the Supreme Court Chief Justice is on March 5th.
This is Ozarks at Large. This Monday's collection of archives from the Pryor Center first aired on Ozarks at Large last November. It's very important to all of us that we give the consumer the very highest quality for the best price we can, and we have something for everyone. Randy Dixon with the Pryor Center. Explain that. That was Patty Upton. All right. Do you know who she was? Well, last week you ended our segment saying that Patty Upton would be the subject, and I gave you a blank stare. Yes. And then you told me afterward, but no, I did not know who she was. Okay. Well, she was the founder of Aromatique, um, became you, a millionaire <laughs> yeah. uh, because of it. That interview you heard, by the way, was from 1992, a KTV interview with uh, our financial editor at the time, John Barnes, did a weekly show called Arkansas Business. Um, Patty Upton died in uh, 2017 at the age of 79, but she became a millionaire on a simple, simple idea, and it became known as Aromatique. All right. To be, you may ask. What is Aromatique? Okay, and I think to explain what it is, I have to explain how it happened. Okay. All right, so we're talking in early 1980s, 1982. Mm-hmm. Patty Upton, living in Heber Springs, has a friend who is having some sort of function, I believe. And she needed some centerpieces and had nothing really available and patty literally had to throw something together (laughs) so she went out to the yard it was in the fall winter and she gathered up you know leaves uh pine cones uh, gumballs hickory nuts you know it looked like a little fall she put it in a bowl Mm -hmm. looked like a little fall arrangement and then just to to make the room smell nice, she added a fragrance. There you go. That's aromatique. Um, it is known as a decorative fragrance. And you'll hear later, mm-hmm. it's not potpourri. So she starts this company out of her kitchen. And she's she takes this material, scents it, puts scent to it. How's mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. And bags it up in a nice cellophane bag with a nice label, pretty bow on it, nice packaging, and started selling it in a gift shop of a friend of hers there in Heber Springs. And um, KATV first caught up with her uh, at her Heber Springs. I guess you'd call it a factory. It was... Uh, it was in the fairly early stages of the business. This was in 1989. Uh, I went with our anchor, Susan Rosgen, and we were doing a profile of Patty Upton, and here's part of her report. How are we coming with the sachets? The woman in charge of the business called Aromatique is Patty Upton, a woman who says her friends from college would have voted her least likely to succeed. They would say, you know, if it- Upton, you were just the least likely person, the least likely person to, to do succeed. this. I mean, we just can't believe it. Not to succeed, maybe, but they just never thought of me as a career person to start with. Well, what they expect you to do, be a housewife? Well, no, they knew I wasn't going to do that either. I don't, I, maybe they thought I just floated through life. I don't know. We're getting the GQ labels. Are they working out all right for you? 
The story goes that seven years ago, Patty came up with an idea to decorate a room with a bowl of a sweet-smelling sort of potpourri. She hates to use that word, potpourri. But whatever you call it, it sold. Who would have guessed that bits and pieces of wood chips and leaves and nuts tied up in a cellophane bag would make the world go crazy? Sandra would say, how many can you get out today? And I would say, Sandra, my fingers are just, there's just no meat left on them. I, mean, I, I can't stuff another bag. So this is still in the 1980s? The late, 80s, late 80s, yes. And um, she was talking about working out of her kitchen uh, in the early 80s. But here by the late 80s, all that had changed when Susan talked to her because the company was now working out of a 100,000-square-foot warehouse. And uh, Aromatique had, had made Patty, by this point, a millionaire. So it was a simple idea, uh, but with a twist. Here's Patty. I took it one step farther, not even realizing what I was doing. And I made it visual, and that's where the creativity came in. And by putting large, wonderful things in a huge bowl, mm -hmm. and then adding fragrance, you had both dimensions. You had the fragrance, you had the visual. And it was so simple, it just sort of got looked over, I think. So she starts small. Mm -hmm. She starts getting some, some big clients, um, major department stores, um, but she was especially excited about being contacted by some French uh, department stores. And uh, because, you know, the, the French are the world leader in, in fragrances, mm -hmm. and they really liked um, – she started with this uh, – the smell of Christmas and then went into the smell of spring, and they really liked the smell of spring. So – she was uh, excited about that, but now they were international. I think maybe people outside of Arkansas realize this more than the people that live in Arkansas. And, uh, you know, there were, when, when I started with the smell of Christmas, I had selected all the wonderful things from the earth and from the ground. And now when I get, uh, when I get letters and brochures wanting me to buy hickory nuts and sweet gumballs, I mean, I have to sit down and laugh because, I mean, you know, who would have ever thought in a million years that gumballs would be for sale? You know, her kitchen industry started these other cottage industries. Oh, nice. um, and so, you know, by 92, the company had 350 employees, boasted sales of more than $50 million dollars. And so KTV's Gina Curry uh, visited Aromatique and pointed out the importance of Patty's husband, uh, Dick, and how he added to their success. Upton admits she couldn't have started the business venture without her husband. Dick Upton was a successful businessman for years with the Anheuser-Busch Brewing Company. It was Dick who suggested that they move the operation out of the kitchen when a bag of decorative home fragrance was sold with a potato chip in it. We've, we've always used this simple formula that uh, uh, quality plus service equals success. And the formula is so simple, yet so many people find so many ways to mess up a simple formula. And basically, that's been, I guess, uh, my participation in aromatique is to keep that formula intact every day. A potato chip. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Oops, let's move yeah. it to a, to a right. warehouse. Right. <laughs> so um, here, well, let's hear some more of this interview that that uh, Patty did with John Barnes, and uh, she talks about you know teamwork in her business. And you know, everybody is a contributor. So I do, I do the things that uh, I do the best. Dick does the things that he does the best. And, you know, I, we're just surrounded by, by important, good, creative um, people. And I think that's for anyone who wants to start a new business, they cannot, you can't be everything to everyone. So you have, I mean, no one does it alone. Potpourri. Yeah, you don't, you don't call it potpourri. No, and you heard earlier... Uh, from Susan, it's like, no, don't call it Pope Ray. So just going through the archives, I found four different instances where this whole issue of Pope Ray comes up, whether it is during an interview that she's mistakenly asked that or whether the reporter <laughs> intentionally puts it in their story just because they realize it was kind of a, a sore point, whether here's our little montage. She hates to use that word, potpourri, for the perfect potpourri. Oops, she likes to call it decorative home fragrance. Well, no, it's not potpourri. You're, it's to be placed in a large open container. It's a decorative room fragrance. How have you come about to create other products other than the potpourri? We don't refer to it as potpourri, chart. It's decorative <laughs> home fragrance, Good, darling. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did she ever explain why, what was her problem with it being called well because it to her it was a completely different okay. thing potpourri okay. is something that's in a bag and you throw in a drawer uh, she she was proud of the visuals of it i mean they made they would take a, a a piece of pine wood and make them into peaches mm -hmm. and then paint the peaches mm -hmm. Or you know, paint so a little the, bit the wood. So craftsmanship it, here. Yes, creativity yes. and um, you know they they ended up making they they've moved into candles mm -hmm. and uh, bathroom products, soaps and things like that, and and actually make their own containers and bowls. So it's more of a display with a smell, right? Instead of just a smell. And this is their busiest time of year. Well, Apparently, was, they were too busy to talk to me. Well. So um, I, I didn't get anything current mm -hmm. for this. But so so we're stuck here in the 90s. Where where, where would she get the scents, the, 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 oh, the fragrance? There, there's a whole lab in this warehouse, okay. not only the shipping and the preparation, but we met a guy. He was a chemist. Mm. lab coat, the whole bit, and he's mixing and testing out different flavors. He even puts them on some of the material to make sure it doesn't uh, affect you know, the, the liquid. It dries clear right. and that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Science. Yes. It seems like this, is a, this was a venture that she could experiment with. Right? Oh, I think she did every day. Yeah. Um, and and here was another thing is that uh, I don't know if it was mentioned in the earlier reports that may have that she would personally inspect oh, wow. uh, 
one of each product each morning before it went out. And if it didn't meet her standards, she'd send it out. She was a perfectionist and might have been a little tough to work for. Here's, here's one last comment from her. Never be happy with what you do. It can always be better. I have never done anything that I did not think I could improve on. That's just my nature. She took a simple idea and turned it into a fortune. Yeah. Um, her, yeah. Her husband, Dick, is still alive. Okay. He's, he's working there. There is a CEO. Um, and according to what I've been able to find out um, just online, and um, according to their website, uh, and it was a store locator, there are more than 1,800 stores nationwide that carry them. Hmm. I think a lot of them are, are boutiques, mm -hmm. uh, small gift shops, that sort of thing, but 200 of those are in Arkansas. Really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And according to Zipia, a financial website, they currently have 75 employees and revenues of just over $8 million. Nothing to sneeze at, unless, of course, no. you're allergic to pine cones or gumballs. And it's not potpourri. It is not potpourri. Randy Dixon, however, is with the Prior Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Put Prior Center into a uh, search engine. You'll find out about Ms. Upton and so many other things. Randy, we'll do this again next week. Okay. See you then. It's time to look at the KUAF community calendar. I'm not, I'm not going to do it by myself. Jasper Logan is here. Yes, I'm Jasper Logan, KUAF Community Engagement Manager. And uh, I'm excited to just walk through what we have going on in the Ozarks this week, All Northwest right. Arkansas, via our community calendar. Yes. Uh, first up is... If you are a retired teacher and you're looking for ways to give back to the community, the Washington County Retired uh, Retired Teachers Association, they meet every month on Tuesday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., September through May. And this year they're meeting at uh, Golden Corral in Fayetteville. I think having a community group of retired teachers is really amazing. Oh, just think of all the knowledge they have. Yeah, just and it's beautiful. I think, and they also uh, they they do a bunch of great things. So they collect children books throughout the year and non perishables to support the community and give them away. Um, and then they also uh, contribute to what is called the Washington County High School Scholarship Fund, oh. which is for students who are pursuing a career in teaching. And so this group, I think, is amazing. And so if you find yourself in that space, in that yeah. category, or if you're a retired teacher and you just moved, I think this is a great way to get awesome. plugged into the uh, Next up, the momentary is having a tower bar sessions. I don't know if you've heard of these. No. Um, but basically they are live music performances at the Tower Bar from 6 to 8 p.m. Um, and this one is happening uh, February 15th, and it features an artist, uh, Joe Majorus. Uh, he'll be performing there at the Tower Bar, and um, it sounds like it'll be a good time. Great drinks, a great view at yes. the Tower Bar. I don't know if I have been ever there, been. And Joe sounds am amazing. He is a folks uh, violinist, and so huh. it'll be, be interesting. And that's Thursday night, the 15th. Thursday night, February right. 15th. And then last, uh, this one is uh, seems very exciting for me personally as a Harry Potter fan. Uh, 
the Jones Center is having the University of Wonder and Imagination. Have you heard of this? Yes. Okay. They're out of Ireland. They're out of Ireland? Yeah. Three actors from from Dublin. Okay. Well, that makes me even more excited. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like the, it looks like it'll be this interactive theater experience where they say they're going to combine magic illusion and multimedia technology and tickets are only ten dollars and if you pay ten dollars you get access to the entire facility for the whole day which yeah is and they're crazy. doing this fam jam thing. yeah the so fam jam other thing. things going on which is uh swimming ice skating and a family movement class so mm. it'll be great for families kids of all all ages or if you're like me and you have a Harry Potter itch and you want to scratch, like this could be good for that as well. Where can we find out more about the uh, community calendar? You can find out more all about these things and about our community calendar at uh, KUAF.com slash community calendar. So if you are looking for things to do this week or at any time or if you just want to know what's going on in the area, the community calendar is a great way to uh Get those two things. And then also, if you have things that you want to put on the community calendar, you want people in the community to be aware of, you can go ahead and throw them onto our community calendar. Just go to KUAF.com slash community calendar and add an event. You need information you can trust about what's going on in the world and also stories of hope that make difficult news days easier to bear. Hear it all weekdays on Morning Edition from NPR News. Morning Edition, every weekday morning from 5 until 9. NWA Fashion Week returns next month, and tickets for the three nights of events are on sale beginning today. This spring's edition includes many of the features from past years, but it's in a new location, the Ledger in downtown Bentonville. Roe Bailey, the Communications and Evaluations Manager for Interform, the organization presenting NWA Fashion Week, says this year's first night, March 28th, is the Future of Fashion Fundraiser. It's more of a night to um, get people interested and let them know what we do at Interform. We do offer free sewing classes and some of the students get to showcase what they've been working on. We also have um, Project Runway designers that are going to be showcasing on that night. So that's really exciting that we're um, showcasing designers who were on a show that was nationally you know, televised. So we're really excited about that part. And we're just trying to um, gauge interest and show people what we've been working on. Free sewing classes. Yes. So how does this work? Can someone come in that knows nothing Absolutely. Really? You, that we have beginner level um, all the way up to advanced. But if you know don't even know how to turn a sewing machine on then you know we can definitely help you with that we took a class as a staff and i don't know anything (laughs) about sewing so um the teachers are very patient and they're super kind and you'll be in a very safe space to um figure out about sewing if that's your interest what can you pick up? What What did you, you know, where did you, you said you started at zero. Zero, absolutely zero. When you were done with the class. <laughs> yeah. What did you feel like you could? Um, I felt more confident because I feel like sometimes people don't start things because they feel like they're going to be judged or it's like, I don't know anything. I don't want to waste anybody's time. But the our instructors are so patient with every single skill level. So when I came away, I was like, okay, I know wow. what, a, what a sewing machine does. I know how to change the position of a sewing machine. I know how to thread it and it was so much more knowledge than when i came in there because it was absolutely nothing and of course sewing is one thing design is a whole whole, yeah i got a long way to go (laughs) (laughs) the second night of the fashion week spring 2024 is arts and culture 
Yes. Also an all-star lineup. Yes, we do have, um, I believe, Kato Mamalu is going to be, and she's also a Project Runway alumni and designer. Um, and then we're going to have some designers that we've had on our past runways, like uh, Gina Rose Galena, and we're really excited about that, too. Each night is going to bring something special um, that people can look forward to. And then the 30th is the intersection of fashion and industry. Yes, and that's how we kind of bring, you know, like, designer levels uh, because we do have Brittany Allen um, who's also a Project Runway designer she's going to be on that night as well and then we have some of um, our learned students who are going to be showcasing their designs so it's where it's where kind of industry meets like local fashion and so the two collide and they produce such an amazing show of designs and people the people involved is what's uh, really the most important thing so one of the goals of Interform has to been you know to move the fashion scene in Northwest Arkansas head. I mm-hmm. think so far you'd have to say it is succeeding. Yeah, absolutely. And we just um, um, had a new, we opened a new company called Rhizome. Rhizome. Yeah, so we're having it. We have a for-profit company now. We just got an NEA grant, which only 10 organizations got that in Arkansas. So we're very grateful. We're just trying to move sustainable fashion forward for everybody because everybody wears clothes. And sometimes the fashion industry can get really narrow when they choose models, when they choose, you know, people to represent their designs. They're super skinny. And, you know, so everybody puts on clothes every every day and every every morning so we want to showcase that and say like fashion can be for everybody and fashion is attainable for the community still gonna put a big spotlight on designers based in northwest arkansas right yes exactly it's it's amazing to me still that we have people right here in northwest arkansas who can actually make clothing like you it's different if it's a seamstress or someone who tailors your clothes like everybody can do that well not everybody not me but (laughs) but as far as making these intricate designs and show it showcasing the art to go with it it's really quite amazing and it's right here in northwest arkansas you don't have to go to california or new york to see a runway show um to see diversity in size so we are really showing you that you can see that right here in your own hometown. These are people you go to, you went to school with. These are people you work with. This is your community members. And we're showing the community back to itself. Rochelle Bailey is Communications and Evaluations Manager at Interform, the organization presenting NWA Fashion Week at the Ledger in Bentonville, beginning March 28th. You can find out more by searching for interform.art on the web, Facebook, and Instagram. Fashion is a big part of the prom experience. That fashion can be pricey, though, and unobtainable for some families. That's where the Northwest Arkansas Gowntastic Formals Drive helps. Hundreds of donated gowns will be available at no cost for area teens March 9th at the Hyatt House in Rogers. Becky Luther is the executive director for the drive and also an administrator for a single mother's group on social media. She says Gowntastic developed after a member of that group wrote that her daughter wouldn't be able to attend prom because of the cost of a dress. And so I reached out to some of the other decision makers in, in my group, and I said, you know, is it crazy, the thought of trying to get free prom gowns into the hands of, you know, deserving teens? And these girls were like, no, actually, I actually don't think that's crazy at all. And it just took off. There was originally like four or five of us, that were working, myself and uh, uh, Becca Weiss and Elizabeth Chisholm and many Tenori, and we were kind of just throwing ideas around. And Becca Weiss said, "What you know, we could do a 
gown drive. And I was like, a gown drive? That actually sounds fantastic. And when we started, we thought, we're going to have, you know, 15 or 20 gowns. I can put them in my garage and you know, some teens will show up. But it's been two and a half weeks now. We have well over 400 gowns collected. Yeah. Well, I guess it makes sense because prom gowns aren't something you wear that many more times, right. I'm guessing. Right. I mean, they're of a yeah, certain yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of look yeah. and style. You wear it once, and then you think, well, you know, you can't wear it again. You don't, you know, not going to wear it next prom. And so I think a lot of people, and our idea, idea with this was that a lot of people have these gowns in their closet, and you don't want to throw it away. You spent hundreds of dollars. You have happy memories with this gown, right? You don't want to throw it away. And so it kind of sits there, and then... Well, what if we gave you a reason to get it out of your closet and get someone else to have happy memories, right? How does it work? How can someone donate a gown? Yeah. So um, if you go to Northwest Arkansas Gowntastic Formals Drive on Facebook, we're on Instagram with It's Gowntastic, and you can drop it off. You can go to our website. We have uh, our Facebook page. We have various locations listed, like the Hyatt House Hotel in Rogers. You just drop it off at the front desk. We have other various locations, which, again, are on our Facebook page, so I won't list them all here, but different locations throughout Northwest Arkansas, businesses who have agreed to be drop-off locations that you uh, bring your gown in and they'll hold it, and one of the volunteers will come by in the next week and pick it up and take it to where we can sort it and all that good stuff. Do gown, do, do prom gowns change with time or are they kind of, I mean, obviously if someone wore a gown in the yes. last five or six years, you'd probably say, yeah. what if you get one from the 70s or 80s? Yeah. Will that still attract <laughs> someone? I would say we have been actually surprised that most of the gowns that we are getting are pretty modern day. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's been one or two that we have we have chosen to pass on to a different event, but for the most part, they are actually pretty trendy. The, the trends in prom gowns don't change year to year, you know, mm -hmm. but um, we, I, most of them are very trendy, actually. And we've even gotten donations from like Vi Violet's Bridal and Formal in Tawnytown, which, of course, is the premier, you know, formal gown location northwest arkansas they have actually donated gowns so and those ones of course are brand new so oh wow yeah great great news prom season's almost here right i know right doesn't it start yeah april april yeah that's why when we had this idea in mid-january and we kind of ran with it we're like we need to make this happen now yeah, there's no time to spare because if someone doesn't find their gown, for instance, they need time to go find another one. Or even if they do find their gown, they need to find matching shoes and, you know, set all that up. So it's almost here. Though I do want to say that our focus is prom because of the time of year. But we have gotten quite a few bridesmaids dresses donated, uh, quinceanera dresses, which we're like incredibly excited about, homecoming. So we have some shorter ones that you would wear for, like for homecoming events. So really, while we're saying prom because of the time of year, it is certainly for any special event. If someone wants to help but doesn't have a gown, Yes. To donate. How can they Good help? Good question. I'll tell you what we're looking for now. So our goal with this is to make this a bougie event. You come to Gowntastic, and this isn't a here's a gown, be grateful. This is a you are spoiled, you <laughs> are celebrated, you are showered. So uh, right now what we are most looking for, because we've got the gowns, 
Now we need the teens, of course, um, but we also want to provide um, tasty treats. So like handheld treats, we've gotten in touch with some bakeries like uh, Briar Rose in Farmington or um, Panadera Vega in Springdale uh, that is agreed to donate sweet treats, some savory treats. So we're hoping to get more bakeries. And, and you know, I say you don't have to expect to feed 100 people. Anything that you can donate is fantastic. Um, and we'll have people with silver trays passing out hors d'oeuvres to the, to the teens. Um, we also are needing raffle prizes. So a lot of local businesses, whether that's Renew Aesthetic, who's donated facials, acne facials, you can get a facial before prom, or um, you know our local Dillard's or Sephora, uh, Designer Shoe Warehouse has donated um, gift cards. So raffle prizes would be fantastic. And again, I think a raffle prize that an individual could give that would be so welcome would be even if you're, you know, uh, a cosmetologist and you're able to donate, you know, a makeup session or a hair session or nails. I mean, every girl wants their nails done for proms, but you know, that can be expensive. So as many raffle tickets, I've learned in the last three weeks, Kyle, to reach for the stars. And my goal here, and I know it sounds crazy, every single teen wins a raffle prize, and I'm just going to go with it. So I'm All just right. going to keep asking. And to my uh, absolute joy and, and beyond humbled at how many people have reacted so positively to this, you included. And so, yeah, the more that we can give these teens, the better. Becky Luther is executive director of Northwest Arkansas Gantastic Formals Drive. The event takes place March 9th at Hyatt House in Rogers. You can learn much more by looking for Northwest Arkansas Gantastic Formals Drive on Facebook or It's Gantastic on Instagram and on the web at gantasticdrive.com. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. <laughs> You roll your eyes and my heart skips a beat I vibe a read from my head to my feet You look so tame yet you set my heart aflame Every time I kiss you, Lord, it drives me insane Harold Lloyd Jenkins was born in Friars Point, Mississippi on September 1st, 1933. But he grew up on the other side of the Mississippi River in Helena, Arkansas in Phillips County, home of stars in rock, gospel, country, and especially the blues. Jenkins learned guitar from his grandfather and made his debut on Helena's famed KFFA radio station at age 12. By the late 1940s, Harold Jenkins had a country group called the Phillips County Ramblers. This group merged into a harder rocking group called the Rockhousers. I Vibrate, heard here from his first sessions for MGM Records in 1958, was written with Jenkins and Jack Nance of Conway, Arkansas. Phillips County native Levon Helm recalled seeing Harold Jenkins and the band in places like West Helena's Delta Supper Club. He had all the rockabilly moves, the stutter, the twitches, the strut, Helm wrote in his 1994 autobiography, Oh Boy, Were They Good. In fact, Harold Jenkins gave Levon Helm his stage debut at a Delta Supper Club performance. Helm later played with Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks, which merged into Rock and Roll Hall of Famer's The Band. But back to Harold Jenkins. After being scouted by the Philadelphia Phillies and serving during the Korean War, Jenkins cut a few rockabilly demos for Sun Records in nearby Memphis in 1955. Those weren't released, but Roy Orbison recorded Jenkins' song, Rock House. Jenkins signed with Mercury Records as a rocker under his new stage name, Conway Twitty. Conway for Conway, Arkansas, and Twitty for Twitty, Texas. 
1957, Conway Twitty landed a small rockabilly hit called I Need Your Lovin', which cracked the top 100. The next year, he signed with MGM and had a number one pop smash with his first single, a million seller he co-wrote with Jack Nance and recorded as Conway Twitty called It's Only Make Believe. Is that someday you'll care? 1960 yielded another top 10 hit for Conway Twitty, Lonely Boy Blue. By now, Conway Twitty was a certified pop star. He appeared on TV shows and in teeny bopper films like College Confidential. But in a couple of years, the hits slowed. Conway reorganized with a country band in 1964, although he initially met resistance trying the new genre. Two years later, he signed with Decca Records, a major label. Two years after that, in 1968, Conway Twitty had again made it to the top, this time in country music, with his number one hit, Next in Line. It would be the first of his 40 number one country hits. Hello, darling. Nice to see you. It's been a long time. You're just as lovely as you used to be. In 1971, Conway Twitty first teamed up with Loretta Lynn for the first of a long string of duet hits. By 1975, Conway Twitty had become a musician of such stature that a copy of his Russian-language version of Hello, Darling was presented by an American commander to his Russian counterpart during a joint space venture. Twitty's daughters, Joni Lee and Kathy, with her stage name Jessica James, also attempted country music careers. In the 1980s, Conway Twitty kept current by doing country versions of rock and roll and pop hits like Three Times a Lady, Heartache Tonight, and The Rose. He opened up Twitty City, a nine-acre theme park, became co-owner of the Nashville Sounds semi-professional baseball league team, and Conway Twitty Mobile Homes. He also ventured into the fast food business with Twitty Burgers. Conway Twitty also helped the early careers of artists like Reba McIntyre and Vince Gill. Bum, bum, bum. And I can feel your body tremble. The 1990s began promisingly for Conway Twitty with top 10 hits like Crazy in Love and recording Rainy Night in Georgia with Sam Moore of the R&B duo Sam and Dave. On June 5, 1993, a few months before his 60th birthday, Conway Twitty collapsed after a performance in Branson, Missouri, on his way to the 1993's Fanfare in Nashville, Tennessee. Conway Twitty died in a Springfield, Missouri hospital of a stomach hemorrhage. He was buried in Gallatin, Tennessee. Years after his death, Conway Twitty still has more number one country songs than anyone ever. From Phillips County, Arkansas, here's Conway Twitty with It's Only Make Believe, his first MGM single from 1958, co-written with Arkansas' Jack Nance. People see us everywhere They think you really care But myself I can't deceive I know it's only make Someday you'll care My hopes and my dreams come true My one and only you No one will ever know How much I love you so My only prayer will be Someday you'll care for me But it's only make believe 
my dreams come true My life I'd give for you My heart a wedding ring My all, my everything My heart I can't control You rule my very soul Someday you care My hopes, my dreams come true My one and only you No one will ever know How much I love you so Co-written by Jack Nance of Conway, Arkansas, it's Conway Twitty from Helena, Arkansas, with his first MGM single from 1958, The Million Selling, It's Only Make Believe. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook, with Arkansas. Arkansas is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Producer is Keith Merckx. Arkansas, since 1998. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. Contributors today included Jack Travis and Randy Dixon. Stephen Cook also helping us out there with Arkansas. Yes, exactly. And Matthew Moore produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. We're going to be back with you tomorrow for another brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. Kyle, uh, anything fun for you this weekend? Oh, um, I don't know. Late in the overtime, uh-huh. we're talking about the Super Bowl. Here. Yes. Um, late in the overtime, I told my wife and our guests that I was never going to watch sports again because I, <laughs> I could not handle it. I, or I'll watch sports when I don't have any sort of vested interest. interest. Yeah. But now, now I will. You'll consider watching. I will football yes. again. Uh, entertaining game and uh, a result that I enjoyed. I know not everybody. There were a couple of Fayetteville guys who are on the Niners. It would have been nice. Would be nice if they could get rings, but. Went my way. We can all agree, Usher was phenomenal. Oh, he was. He was fantastic. Thank you for ringing out Alicia Keys, too. That was great. Absolutely. All right. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Be well. Black-owned Northwest Arkansas presents the Black-Owned Business Expo, February 24th, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Fayetteville Town Center. Guests are invited to come discover and shop with black business owners and talent from across the region. Details at blackownednwa.org or eventbrite.com.